Uh, I'm sure there'll be somebody in... Oh, yeah, I can think, pretty sure I can hear myself now. The mic seems a little, little quiet these days. Um, but hello, welcome to Mentally Sound Show 3. My name's Stephen Hesse. I have been the host for the last three shows, and I'm delighted to say we have a new co-host. Carol's taking a bit of a break, uh, but she's uh, going to be along in a segment in just a second uh, that she did with Anthony. But first of all, I'd be delighted to welcome my co-host for today, Mr. Sharon Race. Hello! Hello! How are you doing? Are you well? I always say like the most best thing to ask on a mentally sound show is to say, "Are you well?" Is are all your dogs barking? I'm sure they would all be barking. Yeah, up the wrong tree, maybe. Oh dear, we started already at a bad. Um, but all the all the metaphors are out already. But um, but yeah. So um, how how you been so far? Because um, for those that don't know, who didn't listen to our first show, uh, Sharon was on. We did a uh, me and her did a segment about your comedy stuff, which obviously we want to talk about because there's some news about that. But how have you been otherwise? Uh, what's you been up to since then? Yeah, been full of busy getting funding, um, doing comedy shows, comedy writing, and just having a good time living, basically. <laughs> good time living. <laughs> <laughs> Living it up. Um, but yeah, so uh, I should mention before we go on is that uh, if you want to get in touch with the show, you can do by uh, at underscore mentally sound on Twitter uh, as well as mentally sound radio at gmail.com if you want to get in touch with us uh, and chat about things. We're obviously going to talk about the election. We've got a bunch of other uh, sections coming up as well. But first of all, I want to tell you, <laughs> this is Sharon's giving me a posted note of it, future reference, Stephen. Uh, <laughs> Uh, it doesn't want to stick. Yeah, a posted note. A posted note that is officially not a posted note. Uh, <laughs> doesn't do what it's supposed to do. But yeah, so we what we want to do is to chat uh, to Sharon because, uh, as I know, because I talked to her uh, the other day, is that you've got some major awesome news to share. So do you want to do you want to mention that? I have indeed. Yes, recently we um, have received funding to stage Laughter for Lasses Part Two. Laughter for Lasses is a series of workshops focusing on stand-up comedy, comedy writing uh, for women mm-hmm. in the northeast, mental health survivors, so if people are going through mental health issues, carers have survived mental health, then uh, they got involved in comedy stand-up workshops, and then we did a showcase down at the Clooney Tube, Yeah. and we've got funding from Comic Relief and the Community Foundation to do part two. Awesome! Hooray! Yeah, so that's for the, so is that for the foreseeable future or is it one of them things that... Starting on June the 1st, okay. and it's actually Launchpad, the mental health group, mm-hmm. who's uh, running that, and awesome. I'm going to be facilitating the workshops and then I'll be emceeing the mm-hmm. actual showcase. So Fantastic. On Monday the 1st of June, 1 till 3, get in touch with the Launchpad to book your place, but we will be adding further details to the Launchpad website all about the dates, mm-hmm. there will be uh, the consecutive Mondays. So put that in your diary already, people. It is, Woohoo! Um, it is just for women at, at the moment. That's what we've received the funding for. So, uh, Sexist. <laughs> no, I mean, no, I'm only joking. <laughs> probably comes forward one of those uh, <laughs> bylaws. No, it's... Um, it's sexual it's discrimination. But yes, so, uh, yeah, it's great. And we'll be putting the uh, information on laughinglasses.co.uk as well. No, it's good because I think... Um, it's good because the... You know, as we talked about in the interview that I did with you, is that it's a good um, it's a good thing really to get people to um, uh, 
also, Jules, I can I can hear. I know you're like uh, laptop in a way, but we can hear it through the microphone. <laughs> so if you mind not doing that, that's cool. Um, just sorry, Jules, who is going to be along in the show in the future, uh, uh, um, in the second half, is just typing away on his laptop, which we can hear. So someone, someone might just be hearing like a crackle and going, "Are they, are they being b- burned alive?" And that would be horrible. Well, that, that would be. be band. <laughs> yes, yeah, that damn mariachi band interrupt every show. Yeah. I mean, we don't even pay them, and they're here. <laughs> 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 they just turn up yeah, they yeah, they just turn up and go. Please, we just want to be paid. <laughs> we need yeah, the, the the mariachi band, circ- uh, like uh, the 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 circuit the circuit in the, the like the national circuit's just not non-existent. Uh, so we need to go to local radio shows to show that we have got an audience. Uh, uh, but yeah, so that's cool. Uh, but that sounds really awesome. Like, I'm really ha- really happy to hear that. Um, uh, That's awesome. That's fantastic. Um, so um, I, I wanted to ask you because uh, we know we, we we did the interview on the first the first show about the comedy and stuff, and I, I just I'm interested to ask you like because I know you touched on that in the in the show uh, in the segment that we did. That um, have you ever ever thought about doing comedy again? Because one of the things how we ever met. Uh, way back when, it makes me sound old when I say it was like sort of nine, ten years ago, when, or whatever it was. Maybe, maybe, maybe eight years or something. It was when I was at university, and um, Sharon and I were um, on the what we, were were uh, doing the comedy circuit in um, in the Dog and Parrot, and you were still. I think you were. You, was it called the laugh, laughing for laughing for lasses thing you used to do? The yeah, I used to run laughing lasses, which was an all female. Yes, movie. I remember that. Um, I remember you. Just l- for women yeah 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 but it was a female comedian yeah was it like i know i asked you this in the in the in the in the first show but i'm just interested to know like i mean um was it hard getting comedians then at the time uh in terms of getting people interested um, no actually it wasn't um i was fairly inundated okay cool to turn I just say that because the stereotype is the stereotype is that you, the, the the people aren't involved. You know that the, the, there's not enough women in comedy all and all that. Yeah, all women are funny. Yeah. Well, it's it's a bit like. No, but. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, there's an element of truth. No, but but I know some I know some I know some male friends who are just not funny whatsoever. So you know it it doesn't really it's not really you know gender i mean i i i always like kind of think i know we will be talking obviously about mentally sound stuff but this is just an interesting topic and and i remember like list i always say to people you should read you should uh read um the naked is it the naked is it the naked jam or whatever the the, the book called that the book um that jimmy carr did oh, yeah. uh which was ba- it basically talks about the fact that the comedy circuit is like inundated with a male audience from the open mic places because i know we touched on this on the first show was that the people who end up in comedy clubs when women end up in comedy clubs they're usually the date of a, of a guy who's kind of forced them to go it's you very rarely have you know if you look at it if you have a, a survey of a comedy club you're never going to see like a group of girls it's always either a group of guys or the gut girls there it she's been brought by a, a guy um yes isn't it interesting that they yeah. isn't it interesting there's a byproduct of like sort of society's things yeah. that you can allow a hen party into a comedy club but some comedy clubs don't allow bachelor bachelor party things like a bachelor group they don't allow in i find that incredibly interesting it is, yeah. uh it's sort of just that assumed that guys are trouble and women are fine you know <laughs> again like we're saying we go yeah 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 <laughs> yeah yeah 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, we just, uh, we're just going to... The, the, uh, social services have just contacted Mentally Sound. Uh, we'll now be taking off the air. So this has been Stephen Hesse. Uh, um, it's really good. Um, I've been... I've, um, yes, I know. I'm aware of that. I'm trying to fix that. Uh, sorry if uh, Sharon is a bit quiet. I'm trying to fiddle with some buttons, but we'll try and resolve that during the break. Because apparently you're not very... You're, you're a bit quiet. Uh, I can... Yeah, yeah, I'm she's. Lazy. Yeah, yeah, she's just. A, she has no rights. <laughs> um, anyway, cool. Well, what we'll do is we'll try and solve the. Uh, we'll try and solve Sharon being a little bit quiet. Um, again, technical errors. It's the. It's the, the norm of the mentally sound studio. Uh, so what we're going to do is uh, the upcoming segment is with Carol and Anthony talking about bipolar, something that's close to my heart cause as a sufferer myself. Um, so Carol and Anthony are going to do an interview. Uh, uh, talk. Uh, Carol interviews Anthony about the about the um, about the disorder and how to combat that. And when we come back, uh, we have our first guest in the studio, Marty, who's sitting right next to us. And I'm so super excited. Uh, so we're going to have a chat with him about the other side of the coin, being a carer uh, and how that and how which is very interesting. I always think the carer as someone who my mom has Parkinson's and it's like carers never get. I don't know. I don't, do you feel that in your experience? Yeah, um, quite often forgotten. Yeah. And, um, At least don't have Yes, indeed. I mean, it's kind of one of them. Th- it's it's because kind of a lot a lot of stuff that carers do end up being in the background, so they don't get you know they don't have they literally don't have time mm-hmm. to say to people, look what I do. It's like no, I'm actually literally caring for someone. So it's interesting to get Marty's perspective, and obviously we're going to talk about his book uh, and everything else. So uh, this is our in- this is the interview with Carolyn uh, Anthony talking about bipolar, and you're listening to Mentally Sound on Gravity Radio. North. Hello, it's Carol Carol Robinson for Gravity Radio, Mentally Sound. I'm just about to interview Anthony. And um, could you tell us a bit about your disorder, Anthony, please? I'm diagnosed with bipolar disorder, and it presents as a mixed state bipolar disorder, which is a combination of depressive and manic symptoms. Um, The worst part of that for me is uh, irritability, Uh, and this is a big feature of mixed state bipolar, but it it, it presents as an intolerance of people around me, um, Mm -hmm. my family and friends, and... It's, it's like being angry all the time because people can't understand where you're going. Your mm. thoughts are racing and you've got all sorts of uh, great grand ideas yeah. and, 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 and they just can't understand or you feel they can't keep up with you mm. and you get angry and annoyed with them and, mm. and that's really bad for relationships. Mm. So do you find that you get um, you have a lot of energy sometimes? Yes. Um, you have to use up. Yes, certainly. I... Um, my bipolar has been progressive, and it started in the early days as um, hypo, hypomania. Can you explain that, please? Hypomania is, um, if you think of mania, full mania, uh, as being uh, almost delusional, and you are not fully aware of the strangeness of your ideas and behaviour. Yeah. Hypomania is, is less than that. It's a state where you're full of energy, and you don't need to sleep, you don't yeah. need to particularly eat a lot, but you are aware that your energy levels are high. And, and you can use that in very creative ways. Yeah. So um, hypomania, um, people can feel that it's a gift. Yeah. You know, uh, they can race through work. Uh, they can produce um, very, very creative projects. Yeah. Um, but full mania is, is something different, and it, it takes away your um, it takes away your life mm. when you are manic. Mm. It, 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 How um, does it affect you, if you don't mind? Asking. Um, 
I've done some very rash things during my uh, mania. Um, I spend a lot of money and I'm currently trying to clear a, a large, a very large debt yeah. so that I can retire in four years' time. Yeah. Uh, I'll get access to my work's pension. I want, that, I want my life back from work because I don't know when um, bipolar mania is... is um, you know, it, it could put me off work. I could lose my job because of it, yeah. and um, that would be very, very bad. I wouldn't be able to finish paying the mortgage off and things like that. It's a big worry. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I want to try and get my life back. But good. yeah, m money is a, a big issue for me. Mm. Um, going off on my own, driving long distances. My wife, she really, really worries. You know, yeah. She's, she's beside herself with worry when I when I do things like that. Mm. How does it affect the family if you go into mania state? Um, the, the children uh, are scared. They're scared for my safety. Yeah. Um, they're actually scared for their mum's safety, which is a really bad thing to say. Yeah. But she uh, she understands that uh, when I'm in a manic state, I, I, I'm not a violent person. Yeah. But I'm I act very strange. <laughs> yeah. By strange, what do you mean? Can Can we have an example, please? Um, it's it's ideas. Um, I can have delusions such as feeling I can call down God from the heavens and all of his angels and make them remake the world yes. in a way that takes away everybody's uh, everybody's suffering. So I get these... It's a nice idea though, isn't it? Isn't it? <laughs> There's the nice guy underneath that mania. Yeah. But, um, of course, it's all... Um, it's delusional. delusional. That's all it is. It's just ideas. So what happens when you come down from one of these delusions? Uh, just a little while. It might only be a few hours. Um, I'm quite normal. I'm yeah. quite uh, level. And during that time, I'm quite aware of the of the things that I've thought and the things that I've done, and often come to the sense of shame. And that, uh, as well as the bipolar depression, doing what bipolar depression does, yeah. kicking in once you come down from mania, hmm. um, also brings with it shame. Uh, and that shame is something that the mania, the mania, sorry, the depression latches onto. Yes. And um, it becomes circular thinking, you know. Hmm. The more shame, more ashamed you are, the more shame you feel, the worse you feel. Depressed. It's a spiral, isn't it? A nasty, nasty spiral. You've um, got a lovely wife. I've met your wife. Oh, thank you. She seems very, very supportive indeed. She has been. We have our 30th wedding anniversary this year. Oh, and congratulations. I feel so lucky to yeah. be able to have reached this milestone. That's brilliant. And I hope we'll get to our 50th. You will. <laughs> She's lovely. You both love them. She's a rock. She's a, um, a nurse herself. Yeah. Um, she understands. Mm, she hasn't worked as a nurse for a while, but she understands the value of medication and makes yeah. sure. It's like being on a ward sometimes. Have you had some meds? Doing your PMs. On a more serious note, um, I've tried to go, I've tried to, to suicide with drugs overdose in the past. Yeah. So she doesn't allow me access to my drugs. Okay. Because she's, she's scared. Not not because of the um, community services have said don't give him his meds and you know, mm. dole them out. She's scared for what I might do. And, and that's that's very regrettable to me. Yeah. That's one of my big regrets that she's having to carry the weight of that around with her. Yeah. So some happy times. What sort of happy times do you have when you're well? Because I know you're well at the moment mm. and I've, I've read some of your poetry. It's quite good. <laughs> um, happy times for me um, are with my family when I have my children around me. Yeah. We have three children. My eldest one is married and lives in Liverpool. And yeah. her and her husband have just been over for the past week. Lovely. And been out, to, been out to the cinema, had meals together, things like that. Um, our um, second daughter is 
uh, up in Glasgow at the moment at the Royal mm-hmm. College of Music, studying music up there. And she is on her way to Durham Station as we speak. Oh, and when I'm finished here, I'll go and pick her up. And then the next round is going out to cinema. Oh, <laughs> so lovely. Um, and I was telling her who still lives with us. He's yes. a 17 year old and he is um, mad on cars. Oh. And I've been able to take him to where I work. I work for Nissan. Yeah. And we recently had the uh, GDR performance car on oh. display. Took him up there, sat him in his teeth, got a selfie for him. And he's been yeah, that was exciting. made up. <laughs> <laughs> so that's happy times with um, the family. What is happiness to you? Oh. It's a big question. Happiness is is connectedness for me. It's being around people, uh, being around friends and family. And this is a big thing for for my illness. When I'm depressed, I will have a really bad habit of isolating myself. You know, a lot of depressed people, they they might take to the bed, stay at home, don't go out. And I've come to realise over the last year, um, as I've uh, begun to volunteer for... uh, mental health charities and campaigns yeah. and uh, working with our trust, Mental Health NHS Trust, and being around people and yeah. doing things to help other people is a great yeah. thing. Yeah. Uh, and that's what, you know, that's very fulfilling. Being proactive, yeah, I, I tend to find that to help my mental state, I keep active. Mm-hmm. You know, I do a lot of volunteering, like yourself, time for change. Mm-hmm. That's where I met you. I'm sure you're a champion as well, aren't you? I'm a champion. Myself. Yeah. <laughs> so um, we've, we've got our hands in a lot of pies. That helps you, doesn't it, to stay yeah. happy? And you've got a, a wonderful family. I've met your wife and I've met your eldest um, middle daughter, and you seem all very supportive. So that would help you to, you know, plug into happiness quite often Absolutely. and keep that balance. Absolutely, it's all about connectedness. Okay, so what do you do at work then? I am an engineer um, for Nissan, um, and I'm looking after the export of parts to other places around the world. Yeah. So, very interesting. Yeah. Um, Sometimes get to travel. uh, Oh, good. Seeing new places is great. I've been to Japan a couple of times. Yeah. And uh, it's a culture shock out there. Yeah. What's Japan like then? it's surprisingly warm. I never thought mm. of Japan as being particularly tropical, but you go in the summer really? and you can be walking around leaking, you know. Really? Yeah, that cool. Wow, I never thought of that either. thought it'd be more cold. Well, thank you, Anthony. I'm very grateful because I know you've just rushed here from work. Very really grateful for the interview. And uh, I wish you all the happiness. Thank you. <laughs> okay, thank you so much. Welcome back to Mentally Sound. That was Georgia on my mind. It's not a girl. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently, we can now hear the girl that's Hello, on the show, so that's Carol, good news. Isn't it? Gravity oh, radio. does that mean no, no they didn't sound. hear that at all? I'm just about to interview. Sorry, my laptop was looping for some reason. That was weird. Um, so that's <laughs> we had the uh, we had the um, thing playing uh, as you were talking there. So oh, sorry, right. say that again. I was. I'll reiterate that uh, now people can hear yes. the girl that's in the studio yes. talking. Yes, yeah. we, it wasn't a sexism thing. We didn't want the girl not to be speaking. Yeah. Uh, it was, yes, we can hear you loud and clear now. It's awesome. Fabulous. Uh, so that's fantastic. So as you were saying, so just to prove that you are around, uh, where, where are you? Where, like, uh, <laughs> what, what, like, let's talk about what we may, they may and may or not have heard. Um, so you just want to reiterate your laughter falasses thing just quickly. Yeah, we um, Launchpad have, have received funding to do Laughter Falasses Part Two, which is uh, I'm thinking I might make come up with a name actually, like the Revenge. 
Maybe so, maybe if you've got an ID, you can tweet us in this <laughs> afternoon, of course, at, uh, at underscore mentally sound, or of course mentally sound radio at gmail.com. Yeah. That would be very, very useful yeah, awesome. if you can think of a tagline for laughter for lasses too. Um, but yes, anyway, to briefly recap, yeah. laughter for lasses is um, a series of workshops for mental health survivors. Um, actually <laughs> females in the Tynanway area yeah. about empowering yeah. women through comedy, stand-up and comedy writing. Uh, awesome. They start on the 1st of June, the first workshop, get in touch with Launchpad. We'll be updating Launchpad's website about it and laughinglasses.co.uk. That will also get updated. Um, but otherwise, it's been funded by Comic Relief and the Community Foundation. That's so fantastic. it's all good. That's fantastic. Fabulous. Uh, huge thank you to uh, but that, that sounds awesome so obviously get in touch as well and if you want to talk to us as I say the email address uh, Sharon just mentioned but um, thank you I just wanted to say a huge thank you to Carol and Anthony because I wanted to talk briefly about yeah. that segment because uh, obviously it's related to our guest as well it's just that um, as a bipolar sufferer myself it was inc- it's an incredibly uh, it, it's weird that I've, I've known about my bipolar disorder for ten, nearly 10 years now and it's still like resonates with me when I hear other people talking about it, how yeah. difficult it is, and it sort of brings back. Of I found it very difficult to actually. This is the first segment I've I've listened to. I can listen to all sorts of other stuff that I don't have a personal attachment to, or if I do, it's I haven't lived for it. And yeah. but it just it's. It, I, I just wanted to bring up the kind of interesting thing of when, when it, you hear it and you can resonate with it and you have empathy for it. It's a very difficult thing to pro, to, to to have to hear. Um, and it's something that I found very difficult to edit uh, when I was doing the editing because um, the, the, the main thing I wanted to bring up from my experience and this is I think is a nice segue to our guest is just to talk about this idea of shame uh, the shame you feel for having mental health issues and, and, yeah. and with bipolar disorder especially with the stuff that I went through having a medication that made actually my symptoms worse I was like 10 times worse than I normally am uh, so you end up doing things that you're not aware you're doing, and then when you do, when someone tells you, it's almost like you've had an out of body experience. You just can't believe that it's you. I mean, I mean, what's your? From, I mean, you can be as broad or as 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 you want, but um, what's it like from your perspective? Because this is the first time we've had you in the studio, so it's interesting to know. Regar- what you think. Regarding, regarding like just just um, mental health the, stigma, the shame, and, the shame yeah. you see, the shame you feel about it, uh, it, 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 and how you cope with it. I suppose is what I'm asking. Yeah, that w- because I, I wrote a series of uh, monologues called Soundness of Minds last year, uh, right. and they were based on interviews with um, mental health sufferers, mm-hmm. survivors, carers, etc. Um, and the uh, bipolar people I spoke to, it was just the extremes of the mood. Um, so because of that, because one day they w- couldn't get out of bed, the next day they were elated. Um, mm-hmm. I forgot where I was going with that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. The, um, She's having a bipolar mood, <laughs> uh, everybody. She doesn't know what mood she wants to feel. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it, um, yeah that, that's what leads to the stigmas because people sort of think, oh, what, what's the mood going to be like today? Are they going to be this? Are they going to be that? Especially if, if you continue to work or even just in your, your friend's circle. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of people I was choose to sort of 
be very isolated, which is what Anthony mentioned, yeah. that he prefers to withdraw himself away from everybody yeah. um, um, because they feel that people don't want to be around them or that yeah. they're not actually worthy of being around other people. It's just, it's just this idea of, well, I think the thing that resonated with me is this idea of people being afraid of you. It's yes. something that I try and, I, I, find, I, I find difficult to accept. Yeah. Um, it, it's something well, that that's what the big stigma is, that anybody yeah. who's got mental health issues, uh, regardless of what it is, whether it's slight anxiety issues down to schizophrenia everybody yeah. thinks that person is gonna carry a knife and at the first opportunity stab yeah. the first person random well, person to come across that, that type of thing we yeah. were talking about this in the sh in show too about the the unfortunate incident of the, of the pilot who had mental yeah. health issues and it's basically just like the the main tabloids then associate that with with saying that oh someone does something as horrible as as yeah. kill a bunch of innocent people and it's like all of a sudden everybody's like that with mental health which That's is right. why i think with mental health awareness week which we should mention is coming up and um, is the next i think it's it next is week, next week it? starts 10th, on 10th. monday yeah. yeah and um uh, I, have a, I have an idea about that basically a bit like what we touched on about this campaign about yeah. showcasing actual photos of of um people who are mental health sufferers yeah i hate that word sufferers yeah. but you know the, i don't can't really think of a, of a better a better a better word but um because victims is even worse, you know. Oh, Some absolutely, people just say yeah. victims, yeah. and it's like, well, what we're a victim of being who we are. It's like That's I don't right. really, don't really like that that yeah. word. Um, but basically, just show, showing photos of just like what Gareth took of us doing this show. It's like we are productive people. We just yeah. have and the, uh, me more the mental health time, issue you know? is just a small part of the person. Yeah, I yeah. just wanted to mention as well. I said to Gareth, uh, I said to Gareth before we started that um, I've got, uh, you know, I just got some major news about i've got i mean compensated for the stuff that i went through which i found out yesterday which i actually cried about for like most yeah. of that day because it was just like you know six months of hell feels finally over so i felt you know really euphoric recently like you know because it's just like i've been proved that it wasn't my fault you know yes um but the 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 the, the, the thing i'll um to go on from that is i claimed for pip um which they suggested i did because of my circumstances and I wish I actually had brought the letter with me because it actually got I actually got a personal letter back. It wasn't one of them generic ones of where unfortunately you will not get PIP. It was like the person who interviewed who, who um, interviewed me and looked at my case sent me this thing saying a very strange thing that I've never heard before. Where it was basically like I want to give you the money, oh right, uh, That's but good. I can't because oh. the, the 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 way that it's structured mm -hmm. the way that you answered things you were honest enough to say that there's certain things you can do on certain days but i'm like i'm literally describing bipolar disorder yeah like uh, or oh, any major any any real mental health issue that there's some days where i can literally i'm the most you know unreliable person on the face of the earth not through choice through 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 the fact that i'm 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 suffering beyond my means i'm not capable i'm not you know but the fact that I admitted that, it's sort of like that you read that and they go, he has the questions you should say. And it brings me to the point of if you knew how the structure was, you would just yeah. answer it in order to be able to get the money, which means you can't be honest in these things anyway. That's right. Which means yeah. the structure's wrong. Yeah. Uh, I just wanted to bring that up as a kind well, of... Uh, well, it's the same with the benefit system, isn't it? If you're sort of honest and say you can do X, Y and Z on for two days of the week or whatever, then you're classed as being fit or... Yeah. So why should you get uh, ESA, etc.?
Interesting. Mm. Uh, but we're going to be, uh, so we've got some uh, great uh, segments coming up, but we should introduce our guest now because he's been waiting patiently. But, he has um, But yeah, I just wanted to, um, to, to to get some time in with you, just in case that, um, that it did, uh, people didn't hear you properly in the first bit. But um, do you want to introduce our guest? Cause, um, yeah, um, we're very pleased and very honoured to have a, a very lovely man. He's called Martin Baker, and he's a, a, you're just a local man, aren't you? I'm local, local here in, here in Newcastle. Very Actually good. I'm from Liverpool, but I've been here for the best part of 30 years now. Well, uh, adopted Geordie then, <laughs> adopted we'll, we'll say that. Adopted Geordie, Martin Baker, who <laughs> is a... Um, Martin's actually the main carer for his best friend, Fran, who, get this, <laughs> lives in New York. Well, not, not quite New York, on... on um, you had to spoil the introduction, didn't you? You couldn't just pretend. <laughs> you couldn't just pretend. Well, the, the, you couldn't the, just agree. The thing is, we do have quite a few uh, of my friends and Fran's friends listening in from over there, so uh, th- yeah. they'll be uh, they'll be tweeting or facebooking to say, "No, she doesn't live in New York." <laughs> oh well, there you go. Uh, it was my bag there then, wasn't it? Yeah, I apologise yeah, yeah, to yeah. all of the international listeners, yeah. and thanks for joining us today. Yeah, yeah. No, that's brilliant though. But tell us how you came to be the main carer of someone who lives three thousand miles away. Miles away. Well, um, we met. Fran and I met um, online. Um, I'll say first up, we've um, it's four years ago. Four years ago on Wednesday, so oh just, right. just almost exactly four years ago now, and in those four years, um, we've met once, sort of, fa- I hate like in real life, you know, so like, <laughs> yeah. virtual yeah. as against in real life, we've yeah. met face to face, we've been on the same, you know, little bit of the same time the same zone, zone. Yeah, the same time zone, um, once, um, once a couple of years ago, so um, essentially our friendship is a, a distance internet friendship, however you want to put that. We met on actually uh, through Facebook. It was on the uh, the Facebook page of a mutual friend um, okay. who was having a really rough time at the time, um, who was uh, actually sort of expressing some suicidal thinking on that particular evening. And um, it was something I didn't know particularly well. Um, I think Fran, in fact, um, knew her a little bit better and had been in direct touch with her. I didn't know particularly well, so I was like sitting there thinking, you know, so like, what am I going to do? You know, I, I, I could have easily just sort of clicked away and, um, you know, just just chosen to ignore it, but I sort of, sort of felt I, I shouldn't really do that. Um, and lots of people were posting little messages, you know, well, how are you? Are you okay? What's going on? Um, and this this person wasn't didn't seem to be online at the time. So after a little while, I, you know, I, I did actually post, post a little something. And being um, the um, sort of pathologically positive person that I am, um, right. This is something that various people tell me. How uh, dare you? <laughs> <positive>. <laughs> positivity. Sh- yeah, yeah. Th- there's meds for that apparently. You're mad. You're crazy. I posted up something. I think it was like, so, you know, flooding love and light into your world or, or whatever, you know. And um, I thought, well, I don't know what else to say. Um, and then somebody that I'd never heard of before, you know, so Frank, commented on mine, you know, to say, um, you know, sometimes like even too much love can be kind of like overwhelming. Right. And it just kind of like stopped, stopped me. Um, stopped me dead is probably the wrong thing to say, but just sort of brought me up short. Yeah. Um, we started chatting uh, sort of from there and, and um, you know, friended straight away, realized straight away, and yeah. been friends ever and since. Struck up a so uh, relationship basically stuck from the, being struck friends that on friendship Facebook. From there, um, Fran at the time was. Um, I mean, Fan uh, lives with bipolar rather than suffers from yeah. whatever. Yeah, yeah, I know the, the terminology. Deals with. Um, yeah. Deal, deals yeah, with. Deals yeah. with. Yeah. Um, yeah. Lives with uh, bipolar and was um, in mania at the time. Quite. Yeah. Hard, and, and 
Malik at the time. Right. Um, the way she puts it, if she, I mean, if she hadn't been, if it had been depression, you know, she wouldn't have been online at the mm-hmm. time. So we never would have met. Um, but yeah, we just uh, st- stuck it up from there, really. Great. Brilliant. And so, four years, how does the actual relationship work on a, on a day-to-day basis? We're, um, that one, of, one of the things is, um, yeah, 4,000 miles, that's uh, 3,000 miles, 3,000 miles, four years. Um, you'd think, you know, how, how can that work? But, you know, with technology, you know, we're online now, there's you know, people sort of locally and all over the world, like, hopefully listening into this. Yeah, thanks so for the, the internet. Technology, yeah. yeah, with, with the, um, the internet, mm-hmm. the social media, Skype or whatever, you know. Um, I think in a lot of ways that, that distance, the geographic distance, doesn't necessarily, make, you know, make so much difference. So given that we, the, you know, we're, th- we're there for each other, I'm there for her. So essentially, it's through it's through Skype, it's through chat, it's through. Um, I mean, initially it was sort of like email, emails and chat and yeah. text and things like that. Yeah. So it it sort of harks back a bit to the old-fashioned pen pal sort of scenario. That's but interesting. It, but you've you've gone yeah, sort of uh, beyond that, haven't you? Oh, that's actually interesting because I did have I have a, I still have a friend, but who in the early days when Fran and I were t- sort of you know became friends, and um, actually says, oh, so she's your, it's like that's like a pen pal, it's like well. Yes, but in the pen pal days, yeah. you know, you, you, you wrote a letter to somebody, you know, you got a letter back next the following week. Yeah. If you were lucky. The whole if you were Six lucky. to eight weeks, I think. Was or we go earlier, telegram, like, you know, <laughs> get, it like a, get it in like one month. Well, time. Yeah. I, mean, I, remember, I remember being at school, and when that, I don't know if it was like a school policy of like having foreign pen pals. Yeah, like I remember that. One in that, France yeah. and one in Germany, you know. Um, yeah, it was a real chore to be months. frank, but yeah. But, um, but obviously, you know, it's much more immediate, so. Um, yeah. And really, we you, we make the most of the connectivity, the, you know, the yeah. communications technology. So it is everything from, you know, chat, pretty much on on and yeah. off through the day, um, to emails, and we do occasionally write letters to each other as well. But yeah. it, it's that continuity, really, okay. um, and that sense of being being available for somebody. And how do you cope with the time difference? Because obviously, over there in, on the Absolutely. east coast of America, it's, it's five, five it's hours five behind, hours. isn't yeah, it? So hours. at the moment. Hello to you people. It's yeah. quarter to quarter to eleven. Ten? No, quarter to ten. Yeah, ten I, I see. I can't even subtract. In the morning, and I, yeah. I can yeah. tell you. I can tell you what triple nineteen is in dots. That's about it. If the maths for me. Right. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, that, that was uh, you literally. You just made me my mind not work there by doing that. Uh, but that's interesting. But yeah, yeah. I haven't. But yeah. I sort of like live in live in the two time zones um, right. these days. It actually. It, it actually fits together, just coincidentally, really. It does sort of fit together, um, you know, better than it might have done if it was in, you know, if she was in this country. You know, if yeah, London if she was just down the road type of thing. Else. Yeah, um, just in, in terms of the pattern of our, of our, of our days. Um, and one important aspect of how it works, you know, just asking how it works over the four years, is that there's a degree of structure. Our connections and things provide a degree of structure for Fran, for her day. Right. Um, so... We usually have a, a quick call at like sort of midday for me, so which yes. fits in with my working day, yes. um, which is sort of 7 a.m. for France. So just like a quick kind of, you know, hi, you know. Yeah, good morning, this type morning, of thing. Was, yeah. you know, how was your, you know, your sleep last night, how, you know, whatever, if she was out, whatever was going on. Um, and maybe a little, rem- you know, I might be a reminder of, r- remind her of whatever things she might have on that mm-hmm. day, if it's appointments or to-do, to-do lists and things like that. Um, and then in the year, and then we tend to maybe be online 
um, for an hour or so in the evening as well when right. I normally be at home. So it, it actually does work out and really quite well. How, be, because as you, as you mentioned, Fran being bipolar, how do you mm-hmm. cope with when she, when she actually has the highs and then the lows? The highs so and the lows. Ha- how how does that actually fit into the schedule that you've just mentioned? Um, we we tend to we she was she was in mania when we, when we met so that um, structure if you like um, sort of developed and evolved from you know, pretty much from the beginning um, and was driven partly from the structure of my day at this end right. um, in terms of working and family and things like that um, and we've maintained that pretty you know pretty much right the way through the four years irrespective of what's going on with her health-wise right. and whether either of us might be tra- you know, on, on holiday, yes. on vacation or, you know, or travelling or whatever. Yes. Um, but, you know, depending on what's going on, sometimes we might struggle a little bit, but we, but we do endeavour to keep that structure going as far as possible okay. because it is in itself almost, you know, not almost more than whatever we might actually be talking about, you know, that little structure of her knowing that yeah, you know, she'll be uh, touching base with me in the morning or sometime in the afternoon for her. Yeah. Um, you know, is is part of what helps keep us so stable, I guess. Yeah, they're a very important part. Yeah, yeah. that degree of, reg- you know, sort of ru- routine, the routine. regularity. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. So that brings us to um, you, you and Fran have actually joined forces to look to... Right. I'm, I'm, Join, uh, every time I have you imagine I, that they're crossing the Atlantic no, by as Superman join, or something. I just think they're joining like the Rebel Fleet in Star Wars <laughs> or something. You know, like they're joining joining forces. But yeah, I get I get what you, I get yeah. the way you mean what you so, mean. Um, yeah, Sorry, so yeah, so me being a geek, I apologise. <laughs> so yeah, I was going to say much like uh, Luke Skywalker and Han Solo <laughs> at the end of Star yeah. Wars. Solo you, and you, Chewie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're, um, so you're joining forces and you're coming together to actually talk about your experiences by writing a book yes yeah we are um, that came about um, it's a couple of years ago now so sort of a couple of years into into our friendship um, and from that, uh, sorry, uh, my wife and I were away on holiday one time in the lakes and um, I, was on, I was on a call with, with, uh, with Fran as, like I say, as we would normally do and I just mentioned I've been going around some galleries and things like that and seen this artwork and bits and pieces and I've done different creative things in the past, photography, bits and pieces. And I was like, you know, I'm stuck for it. I could do it with some like creative sort of idea. Something, you know. And I thought Fran might suggest, I don't know, do some of your photos and stick them online or sort of exhibition or something. And um, she says, well, I know what you could do. I know what you could do. I'm like, okay. Yeah, well, well. So you could write a book. You could write a book about, not so much about us, but about what it's like for somebody to be friends uh, a supportive friend, a caring friend for somebody with mental, mental illness, specifically bipolar. So, at first, you know, I mean, that just kind of floored me initially because it was really scary because it was such a good idea. Yeah. I and mean, I could have, if it hadn't been such a great idea, I could have just dismissed it or whatever, you know. But it was such a, you know, from the, mo- from the moment she said it, it was, you know, it's like, yeah, this, this is an important thing if we could do this. So it took a little while to kind of get our heads around the idea. But yes, um, we, we are have been writing a book. Um, so is the book the finished? Book isn't, the, book, the book isn't out yet. The, it's um, a work in progress? Mo- or? It's, a wor- it's a work in progress as, you know, until, until publication date, I guess, things, uh, books are. Um, we are, um, we're in touch with an agent, so we're in conversations with an agent. Fantastic. Um, all that kind of thing. So it's not just an idea, you know, yeah. we're a long way down, down the line with that. So what's the book called? 
I was I meant to prime you in advance not to ask me that question. Right. Just because <laughs> it's a it's work in progress. Just because it's a work in progress. Right. Okay. Well, so um, you've got no working the, the, title at the no, moment. The, the, um, what came out from our initial um, our thoughts around it were, and um, in terms of our Facebook and say joining together. Yes. Um, joining forces. Joining forces. <laughs> joining forces. Maybe uh, that should be the tagline of the book. Yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. Atlantic is was um, gum on my shoe. And when Fran suggested that title as a working title or as a project title to me, I was like, that sounds horrible. Yeah. But it comes about, <laughs> comes about from, from the conversation that we've had previously before we ever thought about the book. And I remember saying to her that, like, well, Fran, you know, you know you're stuck with me now as, you know, as friends. You know, no matter right. what happens, you know, you're stuck with me. Almost an inversion of what perhaps yeah. people might think is, oh, well, you know, I'm the one that's ill and you're stuck with me as, a, some, yeah. as some sort of, um, you know, dead weight or something. Yeah. But I was like, no, you know, you're stuck with me now as, a, as your friend, you know, no matter what happens. So that's kind of where that, where that arose. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we have a Facebook page and all that kind of thing. So our social media aspect of that um, goes under the, the gum on my shoe. Right, so that's tagline. a Facebook page, gum on my we shoe. Have a fa- we have a Facebook page and, and Twitter and things like that, yeah. Similarly, gum on my shoe, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, awesome. take a look. Um, one of the things, uh, yeah, because obviously I'm just listening intently because obviously this is something that's close to my heart. Being mm-hmm. uh, I, I suffer from or deal with, as we've now just de- determined with bipolar disorder. There's a question I've always wanted to ask as someone who's on the other side of the fence, as it were, yeah. being that I, su- uh, I go through it as well. Um, but from the carer's perspective of, I am aware, you know, I touched on this earlier in the segment we did earlier about shame, about mm-hmm. the shame that people feel of having this particular mm-hmm. disorder. I mean, obviously we could broaden that out to other 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 mental health uh, issues but we obviously we're talking about bipolar disorder in this instance but you know whenever when you're in a a a manic state and you kind of are not especially the worst times in very extreme cases you have you that you you end up not being aware of what you're doing and you feel an incredible uh, my bipolar disorder manifests itself as like irritability like I get irritated by the fact that I am the way that I am and you kind of the, the shame the overwhelming shame you feel and how it usually manifests itself and, and I think the shame comes from that the people around you that you really love and appreciate are the ones that feel the the the, the backlash because but it's never personal yeah. like I I always say to people it's never a personal thing it is my body's mechanic of getting out whatever I need to otherwise if I don't do that I'm going to end up not getting rid of it as it were but obviously it's a terrible thing for someone to witness Mm -hmm. so I guess my question to you as someone who cares for someone like that is how do you deal with the I know Sharon kind of asked you that but I'm asking specifically on the sort of if you the the other side of the coin for carers is you must get sort of have difficulty being able to deal with with something as serious as this so how do you kind of able to kind of put it to one side, I guess, is what I'm asking, and, and, and carry on being there for your friend? I think yeah, it's a really good question, and it, and it relates to some conversations that Fran and I were having with each other recently, and, and also some conversations that both she and I have had with, with some other, other friends um, recently. Um, I guess... I don't know. Like in, in some aspects, the the, um, the the distance sense, the fact that I'm that when I'm not, um, you know, 
it's sort of with and around Fran. Um, we're, we're around her and in contact with her a lot, you know, like every day and everything, but not physically. So yeah. Like and seeing yeah, that's her. what but I was going to say. Yeah. To, to some aspects, and maybe uh, to some extent, maybe kind of takes me outside of that a little bit. So I'm not yeah. sort of seeing that. But um, that, that doesn't mean to say that um, I'm not exposed to, um, you know, Fran's, you know, the different the massive differences in her behaviour and attitude and, and, and whatever. It's impossible. To me, yeah. from, from mania, which, I mean, fortunately for her, you know, for her, um, she, she was manic went for the first, best, well, not the first year, the first six months or so um, that we were friends, she'd been in mania before that. Um, and I'd never um, known anybody or, or had any, anybody in my life in, the, in, the, in that kind of... Um, Situation or anything. So to begin with, it was quite. Um, it was very. It was kind of like exhilarating and exciting or whatever, to to be friends with somebody who had all these amazing ideas and these amazing plans and things, and she had us like grand, you know, grand manic schemes or whatever going on. <laughs> <coughs> and to me, initially, I was like wanting to be a supportive friend. So looking yeah. back on it now, there were some instances where I was actually helping her. Um, you know, progress some of her schemes, which perhaps not, you know, incredibly health, healthy or helpful. And I, you know, as a friend, I'm much more aware of that now. Um, as things sort of progress, it's like, hang on, you know, something's not quite right here. You know, but when you newly friends with somebody and they seem to be so kind of committed to what they're doing mm-hmm. um, and driven, yeah. um, and you don't have that kind of awareness that actually this is like, this isn't just part of their natural personality it's, yeah. it's an aspect of the illness yeah um so that was actually kind of difficult for me at the time um, mm-hmm. and i have much better kind of like awareness around that i think now so one aspect of how we are together or that i how i am with her is that we're aware of like all the slight red flag kind of behaviors and things yeah so that's good. On, on an ongoing basis yeah because we're in touch you know every you know a couple of times every day you know, mm-hmm. so if things are you're starting to act in a particular way or talk in a particular way um, or responding to events that are going on around her or other people, you know, um, then as I, you know, have a little bit of awareness now. So I, hang on, you know, what are we, what's going on here? Um, so I always have to be a little bit careful because just like everybody else, she is allowed to have a good day without worrying that she's actually becoming manic. Yeah. yeah. She's allowed to be, have a crappy day and be pissed off at the world without worrying about, well, actually, you've just, you know, you're slipping into depression. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, but part of my job, part of my role, I guess, really, <laughs> is to keep, you know, keep tabs on that a, yeah, a yeah. little bit. And, I mean, the, 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 key, yeah. the, the key thing, though, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm a friend, I'm a, you know, for a while now, you know, she's uh, re- refers to me as, you know, her primary carer. Yeah. You know, it's not like she doesn't have any friends in the, in the States. It's not that she doesn't have an amazing kind of professional support team. Yeah. Uh, you know, doctors, psychiatrists, care manager, other friends. But I'm the person that she's in most kind of regular ongoing contact with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you mentioned, I think because of the distance, Perhaps Fran and yourself feel that you can be a lot more open and more connected yeah, I, I than, so. as Steve case. said, if you if you're living with somebody on a day-to-day basis in that situation, you can't necessarily take yourself out of the situation yeah, or yeah. take a step back. Yeah, that op- that openness. I mean, it only works because we're able to be open and honest yeah. with each That's other, but primarily because yeah. Fran is able to be open and honest with me yeah. about how things are for her, because yeah. that's the only way in which, you know, I can I can help her, you know. There's, yeah. there's, um, she, so in those four years, she's gone from mania into the, you know, the, the deepest kind of, almost kind of like reactive um, depression, um, 
some you know stable times in mm-hmm. between. Um, it's like suicidal thinking going on. I wouldn't say completely constantly, but more or less irrespective of what her emotional state, you know, what her um, illness really states are. Yeah. So um, she can she knows that she can be honest and open with me about that, um, and that I'm not going to run away. One of the things I said to her quite early on was. Like, I might get scared sometimes, but I'm not afraid. I'm not going to, like, run away. Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, she said back to me that that was kind of a really... Imp- I mean, I didn't sort of think, oh, that's a really... It's important. nice that you kept it would that be promise. Good if I could, it's yeah, nice that you kept that. I didn't yeah. sort of think, hey, that's a good thing to say to somebody who's bipolar, you know? Yeah, I, yeah. I'm going to write that down. I should probably have written it down for the book. But I was going to say, uh, yeah, maybe you want to keep that. I was going to say, you realise that if you say that to someone no. who has that, that, that literally can keep them in a secure place by actually saying that which I find interesting that that's, yeah. that's usually a lot of the time when someone is in a manic state and everything's disordered you need order to that structure and something as simple as just saying I'll be here no matter what can kind of process your mind in a way that makes you kind of go actually things are actually things are okay now I'm feeling better about you know I, I can I can I can focus on processing what I'm going through and not worried about that everything's going to fall apart basically um, I just wanted to say about the flag the flag thing I think the way you said that was absolutely brilliant because I think that's the key thing is to put up a flag to basically say who is the person who is the real person, the person that you mm-hmm. care about, and who's the person who's going through an illness, and that, and, and put up a flag of saying, you know, this isn't my friend saying this. This is someone who's. It, it, and I think people find it really difficult to 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 do to separate the two to say, because mm-hmm. you always assume if someone's got an illness, you think that they're the responsible ones for that. And I, I really always stress that with people often enough that 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 um that whenever i i you know if the, the, the mere fact that i feel terrible about what i've done tells you the real the, who the real person is because if i didn't care that yeah. i hurt somebody i just that's, wouldn't feel that way like that's right, I, you know yeah. like that's that's the thing i would just have the this is why i get annoyed the the by there's there's some people it, who deal with mental health who have it and take advantage of it who basically like make it an excuse for every aspect of the life yeah. and basically yeah. just go oh it's my it's my mental health that's yeah. the reason why i'm horrible to you and that's the reason why i'm i'm right. I'm, I'm controlling or whatever it yeah. may be and so that that's worth that's telling right. on this in, in this yeah. thing to say that some people take advantage of that yeah. situation but i think if you're someone like me who knows that they make mistakes knows that they do stuff that they shouldn't and admit to it this the flag of saying that I'm sorry I, that that's not who I am and but from the other side of the coin which yeah. is what you're saying I have the ability to to um to forgive them for that and yeah. to and to realize that it's not and let it go I suppose uh, yeah. you know yeah I think um, the responsibility is is a huge thing and it's something that Fran and I you know just in our conversations with each other over the over the year you know keep, you know come back to come back to quite a bit um and when she came out of the mania episode or when she was like you know afterwards and like looking back and was kind of, a, you know, had that awareness that you're talking about of some of the things that she did or some of the things that yeah. she said or, you know, some of the things that, that happened between her and other people yeah. during that period and felt that sort of, you know, shame, embarrassment, whatever, you know, a range of emotions okay. around that. And sometimes she was like, you know, I need to apologise and things. And I was like, yeah, okay, you know, but we, you're not, a, be aware yourself. It may or may not change the words you're using to somebody else, but 
internally you're not apologizing for being ill you're not responsible for being ill yeah you know but obviously if you know if your behavior or whatever has impacted people in ways that you would rather it hadn't yeah and you're wanting to kind of you know have some mm-hmm. closure around that makes it yeah, yeah. well unfortunately we have to cut this we have to finish the interview here but it's been really really fun uh talking to you Mark. Thank uh, you Mark. Very much. it's been incredibly useful i mean i i've i've been really looking forward to this as, as a game this is something close to my my heart or should I say a brain uh, and, uh, and uh, yeah so um, thank you so much for coming in I suppose just the, the, to end to end talking to you like uh, what's the future for you like I, I mean um, are you going to be writing more books after this or <laughs> um, that, well, we I, get... I just wanted to yeah. say actually before you answer that that um, I just wanted to say kudos to you for doing a book um, because I think what the perception of what mental health is and, and what bipolar disorder is is still misunderstood. Yeah. Yeah, and if you actually much, have yeah. if you actually have people yeah. who experience it, mm-hmm. then you there's more understanding by actually telling the real thing of how it, of how mm-hmm. it coex- of how people can coexist, how people exist with the thing. Um, and so, just I wanted to thank you for doing oh, the book as, as well. But yeah, so what's next for you? Um, well, just, yeah, just to pick on that, just for yeah. a moment, one of the reasons behind the book was that we, we just felt, I felt when, when I was, you know, dealing, if not dealing with, but, you know, with friends with Fran, was, you know, if you go out there, there are, there, are, there are loads of books around bipolar, you know, stacks and stacks of books, if you go into Amazon, there's like hundreds of things. Yeah, yeah. Most of them are either for people dealing with it themselves, yeah. and if it's not, it's usually for um, partners, you know, like, you know, husbands, wives, um, or possibly parents, if we're talking about sort of adolescents or whatever, teen mental illness. There's nothing really out there for, for friends, so that's kind of like where, where we're yeah. trying to come in. Um, there's Good a lot of out there about you know, be, be there for people, you know, you know, the times yeah. change, <laughs> and all these campaigns, whether it's like, like on the, in the States, like, you know, globally, really, um, and the whole sort of stranger on the bridge, the Johnny Benjamin thing, um, all that about being, you know, just being there, that's being there right. as a friend or whatever yeah. for, for people who, um, who have you know, mental health difficulties, whatever, however we want to put it. But you go, yeah, okay, right, fine. So how do I do that? Yes. You know, there's nice examples of, of so so really in terms of where do we go next? It's really just you know, continuing what we're doing. Um, the book isn't out there yet. We're hoping to get our you know secure our agent, get that out there yeah. from that personal point of view. But really, we're trying to align you know more generally. It's not just it's not just about pushing the book. Yeah. Um, you know, at people. So just generally, we're, you know, we're we're um, just trying to align with the subtlety anti-stigma and, and yeah. all that kind of thing so just that's where we kind of see it going. open people's eyes yeah just yeah well, fantastic just, just that message out that yeah. sounds great well it thank is. you so much for coming in and being part of the show thank you very much it's been me. really really fun uh so please check out his stuff as it, uh check out marty's stuff as he says so it was gum, gum on my shoe wasn't it the the facebook there's stuff. um Oh, excellent. And that has links to the Facebook and other stuff. And the Twitter, etc. Brilliant. Uh, thank you very just, much. Yeah, thanks a lot. And all I would like to say is that the best book I ever heard was Wishful Drinking. Have you ever read Carrie Fisher's book? Wishful mm, Drinking no, is no. such a great name for a book. <laughs> and it sums it up perfectly because she dealt with her manic depression Absolutely. by having... I was, yeah, when you touched uh, on the Star Wars thing before. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's <laughs> kind of why I thought of it because this is that, that book meant a lot to me and it's yeah. just, it always is on my mind whenever someone bring stuff like this up so it's all good yeah well, uh, I'm, I'm pleased both of you didn't mention princess leia in the bikini <laughs> <laughs> but now you have now you, now you have let's there's spend, always one uh we're going to spend the next 30 minutes on thinking about that and uh we, <laughs> yeah but no, I'm uh so uh thanks a lot marty um so what we're going to do now is uh we're going to be playing uh our in- um carol and uh alistair are going to be talking about a uh, little cog theater company which uh, do 
uh, plays and whatnot about mental health, so it's a nice sort of entertainment angle. Uh, but first of all, uh, we are going to be um, playing a song. Uh, this is Nolls Barkley with Crazy, which is one of my awesome songs. Thanks, Marty, uh, for, for, for being a guest. And you're listening to Gravity Radio, and this is Mentally Sad. Well, today's interview, such as if you can call me interviews, uh, is with Vicky. And Vicky's from uh, Little Cog. Now, Vicky, uh, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and about Little Cog? Yeah. Um, I am a theatre director and playwright. I have worked in theatre and broadly disability arts for about 23 years. Um, but my main interest is mental health because that's what my lived experience is. Um, I'm interested in being kind of a socially engaged artist um, and through my work I want to see change happen basically so the, the way that I make work is quite, it's quite a personal process but it's about a bigger picture so um, that's why I make the work that I do. And speaking of work, you've got um, rather a big piece of work uh, coming up for, um, for the public. And speaking of work, you've got uh, rather a large project which is going to be out there for public to view in terms of its performances. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it's called The Art of Not Getting Lost, um, which is it's been about a year and a half in development. And originally, uh, it kind of reflects a turning point in my creative output uh, in that I'm using my own experiences directly to inform the piece, which doesn't mean it's autobiographical. I've nicked my own experiences for mental health and given them to the characters in my, in my piece. Um, and so the, the art of not getting lost, the title for me means... Um, I obviously felt that I was getting lost for a while and I dipped out of the arts and I needed to kind of just regroup. I wasn't well for a while and um, did lots of lovely things like bake cakes and spend time with my kids. But quite soon I needed to get my creativity going again so that's where the play has come from. And I don't want to be lost anymore whether I've got mental health problems or not. And I think most people don't, you know. Uh, So the, the piece is about a little bit about my experience, but it also looks at, I suppose, the history of stigma right. attached to mental health um, through the two characters. Uh-huh. So it's not a documentary piece by any means, and I wouldn't say that on a first viewing of it you'd think, well, this is an issue-based piece of theatre. It's mm-hmm. very much, first and foremost, a piece of theatre, yeah. with two interesting characters kind of living quite a dynamic life. Um, we find the two characters who are called No One and Everyone um, hiding out in a disused tube station in London. So they, they've made themselves a little world and it's a lost property centre. And lots of objects from the history of mental health experiences have found their way to this lost property centre that they're hiding out in. Oh, that's brilliant. That's <laughs> imagery already. Um, how, how does that make you feel? Initially, um, I found it difficult to separate myself from the work I wanted to make. Because I think because I was coming out of a period of not 
been too well and feeling lost. Um, in the past, I'd always either written or directed work that was very separate from me, that was politically informed, but um, it wasn't personal mm. in that sense. It was important to me, but it wasn't about my personal story. So initially, it was essential that it was connected to me creatively mm. and to feel fulfilled and I needed it to be. But as the piece developed, and I was lucky enough, I got two residencies in different um, art centres, mm. one was in Essex and one was in Stockton, um, and I worked with some amazing actors who helped me turn my story into everyone and no one's story. Mm. And so um, that makes me feel stronger, actually, about the piece, because I think it's got more to say in yeah. that sense. So it's kind of making it universal without losing the, the strands that relate it to your personal experience. That's right, experience. yeah. Because I think all of our personal experiences are more than just the personal. I think they've got, you know, all of our stories have got something to say about the world that we live in. Mm. And that's the way I like to make work, is because I, you know, want to give a platform to voices that aren't often heard. Um, so what sort of voices? Well, for me, it's been around disability equality, um, and I mean that in its broadest sense. So, uh, disabled people, either who are working professionally as artists, who don't have the same opportunities as everyone else, to support them to get platforms to show their work or you know perform their work, um, and then also disabled people who might not be professional artists but who want to make work mm. either to feel better or to be heard or as a means of expression. So yeah. I, I work in both ways. Um, but at the moment I'm concentrating on, on this piece I suppose and, and getting my, my own work out there which is a bit daunting. Yes. But I'm excited about it. I'm at the stage of, you know, oh gosh, we're nearly there in Stockton. The actors are doing a fantastic job. Or we're, we're three it's weeks away nice. from. It's actually a very telling metaphor about, about being lost. Yeah. Something we all feel, isn't it? Yeah. Some point. But, but people express it openly because there's yeah. a lot of pressure to actually say that you know you have a plan for life and you will implement it and everything will go smoothly. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. and yeah. Whereas the reality is more we are all out there and there are no maps. That's right. Yeah. That, and that's what I found, you know, through the, the uh, well, throughout my life. But also the exploration of this piece is, um, I think the two characters were looking for a map to begin with and then they realised probably that the map was inside them. Uh -huh. And um, so that's, that makes it personal to them. But also I'm always thinking about the bigger picture mm -hmm. and what it means. I suppose um, to the mental health community, and what yeah. I mean by that is people who, with lived experience, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. mental health problems. And we are, we're in a time where there's a lot of stigma, there's a lot of dehumanisation mm -hmm. ar around mental health, um, yes. and people who are experiencing mental health. So I think it's a really good time to be speaking up. Yes. And so my way of speaking up is creatively and kind of on stage. So I do, I, you know, I hope my play has resonances beyond just the piece of work that, you know, we've created. Now, you mentioned Stockton. I know it's going to be on at the Stockton Art. That's right. Arc. Uh, uh, what date is, date is it on at Stockton? Stockton is the 20th of May, 
tickets are selling really well, I'm told, which is exciting. It's always good to know. Um, so it's on at seven, 7 o'clock and tickets are available through the ARC for that. And then we're coming to Northern Stage, which is very exciting. Um, and that's the 25th of June. 25th of June. Yeah, so, yeah. So just to repeat those dates for all the listeners, we've got Stockton on the... 20th of May. 20th of May. Uh, and Newcastle Northern Stage in June, June the... June the 25th. June the 25th. Yeah. And tickets are available from both box offices. From both box offices. And the ARC are really interesting because they're doing a pay-what-you-decide scheme. So you come along, you don't pay anything when you come in. You watch the play, you decide how good you think it was. <laughs> and then pay what you think it was worth. Yeah, so I think that's quite interesting. Yeah, yeah. And if people are really interested in, in Little Frog and should be, um, they can follow you on Facebook? We're on Facebook and Twitter, yeah. And Twitter. yeah. So do come and find out more about us. Our contact details are on there and you can... Ask, you know, people can ask for more information about the show, and there will be workshops available at some point as well. Uh, you know, connected to mental health and and the peace. So, so we, we would encourage uh, anybody listening to um, make the effort to find out a little bit more, and if possible, make it to one of the forms. I'm certainly Oh, brilliant! Thank you. That'd be great. Nice one. Thank you. Thanks very much. Hello everybody, welcome back to Mentally Sound here at uh, Gravity Radio North East. That was the, the Ataris with the Boys of Summer and uh, obviously that was uh, Alistair and Carol talking about Little Cog Theatre. Uh, so thank you so much guys for doing that. We're back in the studio here with Sharon and uh, with Jules as well, uh, so, uh, who's going to be doing some poetry in a sec. So um, uh, I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about sort of just very briefly about the sort of entertainment aspects of stuff because right. obviously as somebody who who does entertainment for mental health stuff um, I just wanted to I'm, I'm interested to know like how important you think it is to do to do mental health and kind of that aspect of things to do like sort of plays and comedy and stuff how relevant do you think it is well it's, it's very it's sort of getting into the mainstream at the moment, isn't it? You could, because you've got your celebrity, uh, high-profile people like Stephen Fry, Ruby Wax, talking openly about it. Uh, Ruby Wax is sort of doing a, a semi-world tour about her latest show. Um, so, yes, it's, it's, it's very important. But saying that, though, when I wrote uh, Soundness of Minds that I, I mentioned earlier, monologues around mental health, yeah. we delivered that as a um, rehearsed reading to an invited audience and the people who came that weren't actually involved in mental health found it very difficult to sit through some of the monologues mm -hmm. uh, that were dealing with bipolar, suicidal thoughts, cutting, etc. Yeah. Um, so that was the feedback that uh, from the mental health professionals they thought was amazing, the best yeah. thing since sliced bread. But <laughs> the, um, and it was, I sliced have to say, obviously as the playwright. But yes, um <laughs> sliced bread's pretty awesome though. That's a big standard. Uh. Correct, <laughs> correct. But yes, so um, but yeah, the the mainstream public who actually came in um, that found some of the subject matters very, very uh, made them very uncomfortable. So. It's it's finding the, the the balance, I suppose. Yeah, no, definitely. To make it uh, sort of in entertaining rather than necessarily a straightforward. And talking about it in a social in a social and like yeah, actually in social culture as opposed to just amongst friends and stuff, actually performing it and yeah. changing people's perceptions. And That's stuff, right, yeah. and yeah. you have to put that that slant of the it being entertaining at the yeah. end of, of the day. 
So yeah, yeah. I suppose yeah. the best thing to do is to talk, um, we have a second guest in the studio. So thank we you do. to Marty. That was really good. It was very, um, you know, had nice a lot, nice lot of feedback about that. Um, and we just wanted to introduce Jules, who's going to do some poetry for us. How are you? Hi again, Stephen. Hello, Jules. Uh, <laughs> can you hear me all right this time? Uh, yes, we can hear you absolutely <laughs> awesome. Not as bad as last time. Yeah, no, it's all good. Um, can you face the mic when you speak, please, Jules? Uh, just so we can hear you. Um, but yeah, so um, thank you, Jules, for coming back onto the show. Um, Jules is going to be doing some poetry for us, but. Um, uh, I just wanted to uh, kind of have a chat and ask you how you've been since the last show. Uh, very, very good. Awesome. Get Glad f- I'm getting frustrated because I'm trying to move out and I can't get one. Oh, that's right. Uh, my poetry, I've written, I've had one adopted by Weirdale Railway as their anthem po- poem. Fantastic. Fantastic. I've, ri- I've read to 70 people on International Workers Memorial Day, including the Vice Chancellor of Durham University my MP and the Bishop of Durham. So the Bishop of Durham knows who I am. Nice. Uh, and I, I breezed it with gusto. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I've also, I'm also now involved with the um, Alston Railway. I'm going to be doing gigs for them. Okay. Uh, and those other things, but that's enough to say. That's fantastic. Um, so are you gigging? Uh, how often do you, how often do I you gig? I gig every day. Yeah. To me, a gig is reading a poem to someone. Uh-huh. And I just go out there and do it. So yeah, I, go yeah. I go to Strange. I'm uh, at the moment where I live is in uh, Weirdale. It's uh-huh. um, west of Durham. Uh-huh. And on Sundays we've just started a bus uh, service that goes from Crook to Alston. Mm-hmm. It doesn't go there normally. And uh, I was involved in. They asked me to write a poem to publicise it, so I've done that. It's called the Riding the Roof of England. And last weekend I was because it was two bank holidays. Sunday and Monday I was in Alston. Yeah. Lovely place. Fantastic. I'd love to live there. That sounds awesome. Uh, so you've got some poetry to do for yeah, us at uh, the show, so um, uh, Are you ready? fire away. Yeah, awesome. Looking forward to it. Yep. Uh, first of all, my world, it's called. Awesome. It's a bad world. It's a mad world. A sad world. Discrimination unfurled. Worn out souls, worn out faces, watching me constantly. Discriminative, personal individual disgraces. I'm often alienated in unfamiliar places, strange villages and towns with shopping streets full of paranoia. I'm off. I told my mum the whole story annoyed her. I'm going nowhere. My expression is full of sorrow. I'm forced to beg, steal and borrow. I have no... I have to plough a lonely furrow. I'm not looking forward to tomorrow. The dreams in which I'm dying are the only ones I endure. I feel evil, I feel impure. I am stagnating in time. Nobody knows me. No one understands me. Nobody can get inside my mind. I find life hard to take. I need an emotional break. I need to give myself a shake. It's a mad world. It's a sad world. It's my real world. People find me kind of strange. They try to force me to change. They find me kind of funny. They don't look after me. They don't respect me. All they want to do is spend my money. It's a bad, sad, mad world. Discrimination unfurled. So virtual, so real. It's my nightmare. It's my world. Excellent. That's really cool, Jules. Yeah, that's really awesome. Uh, Do you want to do one more? Because we're kind of pressed for a bit of time. So yeah, one more, please. I'll break from the mental health and try and cheer everybody up with a romantic poem. Yeah, go for it. Nice. Is this to me? No. 
<laughs> uh, I'm a man, so it's to a woman. Oh, man. <laughs> it's a man's world. Right. Um, are you ready? Because it's yes. good. Awesome. Go for it. You are my testimony. Laughter in the rain. I no longer hurt again. You keep me stable and sane. You are my destiny. You ride with me on life's train. Your emotion invades my brain. Your live love refills my soul's drain. You give your best to me. You keep me in your time frame. Your love is never a game. You are my bond, never my chain. You never think any less of me. You are my life current, my electric main. I feel so good when you whisper my name. You are my heart's kindling flame. You never second guess me. You never apportion personal blame. Your loving excuses are never lame. My life was an empty space before you came. You test me, yet personally respect me. You give me eternal love. I give you the same. When I get angry, you make me tame. You never take my name in vain. You're always there. You constantly protect me. I stomp and shout, yet you never complain. I sometimes ignore you, yet you never show disdain. You lead me down lover's lane. You look at my hole. You never dissect me. You never give me cause to be ashamed. My reason for living, you explain. We will always hold hands in life's rain. You are my love. You are my testimony. Excellent, Jules. Fantastic. Uh, thank you so much for uh, being the, the poetry relief on our, on our show. Oh, it's no really problem. appreciative. Um, and that, it sounds awesome. I'm, I'm really pleased to hear that you're doing really well. And, uh, yeah. and, and, and uh, good luck with the house. Good luck with the house. Uh, house uh, can I just say, uh, I want to say one dedication to Ali Balbino from Hong Kong. Awesome. Uh, cool. No you. worries. We, we, we appreciate shout outs. Uh, oh, what we should say as well is uh, if you want to get in touch with the show, you can at uh, mentallysoundradio at gmail.com or on Twitter, which is at underscore mentally sound, if you want to talk to us, which is awesome. Right. We need to press on because we're pressed for time, apparently. So, what we're going to do is uh, this next segment, which me and Sharon have been talking about, which is a really interesting angle, isn't it? About the whole. Uh, about dealing. about how mosques. Uh, in a mosque, about dealing with mental health and how their attitudes yeah, are about how it. How the Islamic community yeah. deal with mental health. Yep. And it's fantastically interesting. Uh, so Bill, who's been on the show uh, regularly uh, since all the other shows, uh, talks to, let me get this name right. Uh, how do you say it? Yusuf Abdullah. Yusuf Abdullah. Is that how you say it? Yeah. Okay, sorry. It was just me and my, my dyslexia having a, having that type of <laughs> that type of name. It's like, I don't know how to say it. Yeah. But so Yusuf Abdullah, and he talks to him, uh, talks to him about um, all sorts of different things um, in relation to how, uh, as, uh, as Sharon said, how the Islamic uh, community deal with mental health. And it's a very interesting angle because it sounds like at first when we were discussing this in the editorial meetings, about whether it would work in the show, but yeah. when, when he actually did it and, and we, we listened to it, it really does work. Um, yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah, it's really, really interesting. So um, this is Bill talking to Youssef, and you're listening to Menti Sound here on Gravity Radio Northeast. Right, I'd like to introduce you to Youssef, who, um, well, let's go to his full name. Youssef Abdullah. And I work for the South Times State Arab Muslim Community Service. That's in South Shields. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, right. Now, You've got a fascinating background and uh, really strong roots in the area, mm-hmm. starting with your grandfather g- going back many years. Yeah. But the the Emily community, in fact, go back a long time. Go back a long time, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Fifty. 
we thought it was uh, 1894 when the first Yemeni came here, mm -hmm. but uh, since been told it could have been 1850s, right? When 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 they, when they arrived. And how did they end up coming over here? Came here because South Shields was a famous seaport. <laughs> no, I believe now. Yeah. <laughs> it's a mill pond now. Yeah. <laughs> and there were seafarers. Seafarers that worked for worked on the ships. Well, in them days there were steam driven ships. Right. ships. So they're stoking with coal. Wow. They were uh, the boilers with coal. Very, very hard job, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, yeah, and you could imagine as well in the, uh, you know, you you go past the equator, the equator, and you know, uh, the, the heat in these engines is tremendous. You know, even if you're in the Arctic Circle, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think many people could believe those conditions yeah, these yeah. days. Yeah. Very very hard job, yeah. and I guess they were very strong people. They were very strong people. The um, the companies, the shipping companies. And the captains, the agents, etc., all preferred preferred the Yemeni uh, Yemeni uh, seamen. They preferred the the Yemeni community because the Yemeni community don't drink, uh -huh. and you know a lot of sailors sailors their pastimes were you know <laughs> was involved, <laughs> and while the, the Yemeni community were preferred was when they went into ports, you know, on leave. Uh -huh. Uh, you'd have more chance of a Yemeni coming back a ship <laughs> than a non-Yemeni because of because <laughs> you know the Yemeni didn't drink, you know, so there was many people lost that thought. Yeah, we talked about what the uh, Yemeni community called Star Shields, mm -hmm. but uh, I can't remember the name of it. What was it? It's there's a, there's a there's a called there's a uh, a book called Bordun, ah. and that comes from. Uh, they didn't call Celsius Burdun. They just when you when you when you stay in a place, it's your your Burdun. It comes from the word board, the board house. Right. And it's just sort of like, uh, ah. what I call a mixture of the the, the, the both languages, you know, okay. and the uh, mm -hmm. Yemenized uh, yeah. the, the slang, you know. Yeah. So from your grandfather's time, the, the, there was a mosque built. At Laygate, yeah, um, famous for several things. One started in 1971. Was it? There was, there was an attempt to build a mosque earlier than that, uh -huh. but unfortunately, it, uh, it, uh, it just it, it didn't it didn't uh, come to fruition. But in 1971, the first uh, stone foundation stone was was uh, put there, and it was finished in 1972. Okay. So it's uh, quite an old uh, mosque now, you know. It's, uh, it's, mm. it's not the first mosque. Yeah. It's the first purpose yeah. It's one of the first, yeah. you know. And you had a visit from one of the world's most famous Muslims, did you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Muhammad Ali. Yeah, uh, he came. He came um, to get his march blessed. Mm -hmm. He came for other things, but he, you know, whilst he was here, he had these march blessed up the uh, Allah Mosque, Allah mm -hmm. Mosque. Yeah, seems a very genuine sort of guy. He is, yes, and uh, uh, I didn't, I didn't actually see him on the visit. Mm -hmm. I was, uh, I think I was in a, a works interview or something like that. Mm -hmm. something, something very important, mm -hmm. you know, to, to, to keep us away from it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I get asked a lot about. Uh, about his visit, 
Right, every time uh, I get asked, you know, I'm a, what do you call it? It, hurt, it hurts, you know. <laughs> so I've I've made up. I've befriended him on there. I've befriended Muhammad Ali on Facebook. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So yeah. Does he remember Sanchez as well? Yes, he does. Yes, yeah. yes. He's been having a hell of a um, reception, did not he? Well, I think the Queen came at the same the same really? thing, and I think there's more people that came on for him. Yeah, well, yeah. that doesn't altogether surprise me, really. Yeah, but he's a very, really very nice man, you know. Yeah. and uh, he's not up to good these days. He's no, but you know, all I give him strength and mm. give him a good life. In terms of strength, I mean, we're, we're talking about the early uh, communities that came over, very resilient, very strong, very strong people, and it had to be in those days, you know, for the. The, the jobs that people done in those days, you know, life in general mm. was harder than, you know, you had to get up to turn the telly over if you had a television, uh -huh. you know, you don't have to, you know, <laughs> and, uh, obviously, you know, when, when you're on a ship, the ship's got to move by some kind of uh, energy, and the energy was, was, was put in to the boilers, you know, by, by a shovel, was called coal, which was very heavy, and the Yemis were, filled, were stoking the, the boilers up. With with coal, mm. and um, a very very hard hard men, you know, mm. uh, very gentle as well. Though. Yeah. So men, they were, mentally they were very strong. You had to be strong to, yeah. to survive. You don't understand mental health problems, and no. Does no. that, that continue? Do you think? That's yeah. continued. Yes. You know, and I, I, I get asked a lot. You know, uh, by people. Uh, you know, in the, the final work community I, I come from, mm. and uh, when I'm at the communities, etc., I say, Well, you know, where is your disabled people? Where's your blind people, etc.? Well, when you think about an immigrant community, you know, immigrants, you know, come to work, and, you know, you're not going to get someone in a wheelchair, mm. you know, mm. you know, emigrating right. for work, right. you know. We have had uh, people who, you know, who, who physically are, 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 you know, disadvantaged. We had a, uh, a guy who's registered blind mm. uh, came from here, a very, very successful businessman. Wow. He's since died, Allah mm -hmm. um, But, you know, illness, mental illness, physical illnesses, you know, you, you are supported by the, the, the rest of the community as part of your Muslim duty to, to actually to do so, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. It's part of your Muslim duty to actually, you know, to actually help you, to, to help you, your brother or your sister. Mm -hmm. So the Quran would be of great help in terms of... Oh, yes, yes. You know, do prayer as well. Actually, you know, well, I think as well because... Islam does help because, you know, you, when you pray, you've got to be clean. You know, when somebody's depressed, the first thing that goes is actually cleanliness, if you, if you look at it. Excuse me. Um, when you pray, you've got to be clean. Mm. So you keep it regimentally, you kept clean all the time. Mm. Uh, when you pray, you know, you can pray on your own, but you know a lot of people like to pray with other people. Go to a mosque, or you go, you know, pray with friends. Mm -hmm. So you're socialising as well, you know. So you're not isolated. So there's a strong community spirit. That's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You're not isolated. You know, you, you know, you're interacting. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, you're praying 
the set things to do. Mm. So you you know you're getting you know you're getting used to doing the same things. Do you think this uh, approach kind of helps with things like depression? Then yeah, it does. Yeah. It, it does. Yes. Yeah. Because you know you if you've got nobody to talk to, you're praying to God, you're praising God, and that's something directly between you and God. Do you, do you know what I mean? Right. And I think I mean I think that means a lot. Right. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Even even if you don't pray in a mosque or you, you just put on your own you know between you and God so you know you, you're never on your own mm. you know right so the um, what would you say would you say mental health problems like depression are lower in, is in Muslim communities I'm not really expert on that uh, uh-huh. but look at that people in the community that I know, the the Yemeni community, uh, we do have you know one or two people, but it's not not much, mm. you know. And I think that you know, Islam might have, have something to do with it. Okay, right. you know, might have. Right. What about the effect of racism on the Yemeni community? Well, uh, the Yemeni community in South Shields, you know, were. Uh, a canny bunch of people that came from Yemen, you know, and forefathers, and uh, the host community is a canny bunch mm-hmm. of people, you know, and you know, I think there's a lot of uh, there's a lesson to be learned, mm-hmm. you know, if you look back in the history of Celsius with the Yemeni community, mm-hmm. you know, it's a great relationship. There was one or two uh, hiccups in the past. Some people call them riots. Mm-hmm. I don't call them that. They weren't race riots. Actually, it was uh, was um, industrial relations. Ah, okay. It wasn't it wasn't race. It was right. all about uh, right. You know, uh, yeah. You get you get to know about things uh, because yeah. you chair up to, um, in the town hall. You chair, especially the South Side Regional Court Reform. Used to be called the South Side Racial Court Reform, mm. but because of we've had encompass all kinds, of, you know, of Disadvantaged groups and right. you know, so call it the region, so we keep the same acronym mm-hmm. as, as stress. Yeah, you certainly speak very highly of the communities in South Townside. Yeah, the well, local communities are uh, nice and South Townside, and it's and I just you know, the type by Max and I'm, I'm a Shields lad, you know, I was born here a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love South Shields, and I've chosen to stay here. And you know, I'm thinking back in history, and you know, people have stayed here and so she's from outside. You know, it's a big thing to do, you know. Mm. You come to a cold country, you know. I'm still there. lots of other next <laughs> places to be, but you know, the uh, people here are warm. Mm. Uh, you know, back in the 1800s, you know, I had uh, the Yemenis coming here, and you know, and then after it was Pakistanis, Indians, Malays. Uh, Chinese, Africans, mm. and you know, recently the uh, a group which which gave me a more recent history is the the Iranian community. Oh yeah, uh, because we've got a, a very uh, famous college here, South Townside Marine Technical College in uh, in South Shields, and a lot of uh, overseas uh, sea captains and engineers studied here. Mm. 
and in the seventies, you know what happened with Iran, mm-hmm. and there was lots of students here and had to stay here. Lots of them ended up getting married and uh, settling down here, mm-hmm. and we've got a very, you know, vibrant, mm-hmm. thriving Iranian mm-hmm. uh, community mm-hmm. that which we're proud of also much Sharon and Stephen. Well hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome to Mental Health in Cinema, a portion of the show in which we critically assess and digest the portrayal of mental health in both classic films and more mainstream modern cinema. Uh, The show is normally presented by myself and Victoria but unfortunately Victoria is feeling under the weather and was not able to record so uh, bearing in mind that I never let any excuse to get my voice out on the radio go asunder I thought that I would try and fly solo. Um, All that I ask therefore is that um, you kind of have some patience while I uh, navigate this terrain. So for this show, I thought we'd look at the very basic concept of how mental health is approached in mainstream cinema. And cinema has long been bad news for the mentally ill. It typically represents them as the likes of Psycho's Norman Bates, a crazed, dangerous, and in need of harsh restraint. Filmmakers have treated them as conveniently dehumanized as useful monsters and invite cinema goers to assume that they should be feared, shunned, or confined. I mean, so what, you might feel, because people can tell the difference between fiction and fact. Unfortunately, such research has been concluded that suggests otherwise. It's shown that the mass media shapes people's ideas about mental illness, and that entertainment plays a bigger role in this process than factual output. In focus groups, people with hostile attitudes have cited films like Psycho as influences on their outlook. Now, this means that when the media portray mental health, they tend to get it wrong and as well as mental illness and psychotherapy they tend to get it wrong a lot and this is far-reaching results inaccurate depictions fuel stigma as we've discussed but they also prevent people from seeking help either because they're ashamed by what they see and they don't wish to be associated with those characters or they simply feel that society wants them to hide their problems away and not ask for help Now, Ryan Howes is a PhD, a psychologist, and a writer and professor in Pasadena in California. And he's quoted as saying that there are people out there who would benefit from therapy, but don't go because they think it's just for crazy people, or think all therapists are nuts, because that's what they see in the media. And one of the films that has caused a number of pieces of controversy in the last few years is Martin Scorsese's Shutter Island, a 2009 film which stars Mark Ruffalo and Leonardo DiCaprio. And even before this film was released, there were a lot of mental health charities and concerns very active to know the background of this film and very concerned about what could happen. I mean, here was a big budget, mass audience film by a legendary director dealing not just with mental illness, but the intricacies of its treatment. Now, the film is set in the 50s when psychiatry was a battleground in which traditionalists weeded to lobotomy, electric shock and incarceration, and that clashed with more modern thinking, eager to move on to psychotherapy, education and medicine. It's best. It's based on a best-selling novel by Dennis Lehane, and that was published in 2003. And before 
Philamine, Scorsese himself chose to embark on intensive research. He appointed a psychiatric consultant of his own, Professor James Gilligan of the New York University, uh, who is a world authority on violent psychosis. And in the 70s, Gilligan was the director of a Massachusetts prison hospital for the criminally insane, much like the one featured in Shutter Island. The film's heroic Dr. Cawley, played by Ben Kingsley, is largely based on himself in that era. Now, Scorsese was out to create a high drama and to maximise emotional impact, which is in many ways what any director looks to do with a big budget film looking to draw in people and also, I suppose, win awards and be credited for the Academy. Now, Gilligan was battling for accuracy. He says he also wanted to protect the image of psychological treatments and has written since that he feared that enthusiasm for physical remedies might be on the way back. So what was the outcome of these two men's debates? Well, maintaining historical accuracy, Gilligan assured there had been no problem there. The lengths to which the designers went to get things right amazed him. The psychiatric picture, however, was another story. But that's rather interesting, and it's at this point that we discuss that. And I must tell you, if you haven't seen the film, there are going to be a few spoilers. So bear that in mind. So, if I'm alright to proceed, um, I should probably say, spoiler alert, once again, and continue. So, DiCaprio's character is Teddy Daniels, and he's essentially delusional. He's not a cop, but a patient. According to Gilligan, a sound medical basis for Teddy's condition does indeed exist, and he would say that he suffers from disassociative identity disorder. Now, Gilligan is quoted as saying that I've known patients who are like that. Um, but it is Dr. Cawley's treatment of the patient in the film that is nonsense. Cawley attempts to shock Teddy out of his delusion by enabling him to act it out in glorious detail. This, apparently, is the exact opposite of what would actually happen. According to Gilligan, the therapist's task is to encourage the patient to face reality and help him mourn his losses. Unfortunately, the film's plot depends entirely on Cawley's exotic role-play experiment, and that was that. Uh, Gilligan says the story as told requires the willing suspension of disbelief, and in terms of cinema and scripting, this is something that goes as far back as Shakespeare's plays. Now, Gilligan comforts himself with the thought that it can be at least seen as a kind of a metaphor for psychological methods of treatment as opposed to damaging the brain. But not to worry, because elsewhere, Gilligan seems to have won a victory, given that the film, unlike the novel, um, finds Cawley's non-evasive treatment actually succeeds and Daniels is cured. All the same, though, Shutter Island has left much of the mental health community unimpressed. The film may speak up for your main treatment. DiCaprio was wonderfully appealing and empathetic. But Shutter Island's world is one in which bipolar mothers kill their children to be killed in turn by their demented husbands. Hospital patients are gruesome scarecrows and psychiatrists are obsessive crackpots. In the end, movies are drawn to madness because it's scary, however kindly they try and treat it. Their chilling images are bound to leave more an impression than their worthy explanations. But Gilligan still believes that cinema's ability to instill sympathy for the mentally ill has come to outweigh its negative impacts. And indeed, that could be said because there are plenty of examples. Probably the most... Um, well-known example 
was One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, a Jack Nicholson film before 1975, uh, made, I should say, and released in 1975. Now, before it appeared, few could have believed that a film so sympathetic to the mentally ill could win all five of the Academy's top awards. And though it cost only $3 million to make, it brought in a whopping $108 million at the US box office. And Hollywood took note of this. Compassion can pay. Now, it seems a bit kind of unreasonable that Hollywood were only motivated by what brought in the money as opposed to people's genuine concerns. And it should be said that in the 70s, thoughts and ideas in the modern world were changing. And the people were thinking of more alternative ways of therapy for mental illness. And they were looking at different ways of helping people rather than just, as I've said before, the evasive shock therapy. And that's really part of the subtext of what's going on within uh, Shutter Island. Of course, other forms of mental illness, such as bipolar disorder, have found their way into much more comical designs, with conditions like schizophrenia being tackled in the Jim Carrey film My, Me, Myself and Irene. And then, of course, there's also other aspects of mental illness, such as bipolar disorder being treated in Mr. Jones and Sylvia, uh, depression in uh, films like The Hours and The Butcher Boy, and indeed even mental illness has extended its reach into Bollywood with the film My Name is Khan, which if you haven't seen is well worth tracking down uh, for Bollywood's unique look at tackling an issue that they have to, up until now, stayed well, well clear of. So I guess you're wondering what help exists out there to tackle this stereotype. Well, I'm very pleased to say that during the course of my research for this podcast, um, I was able to come up with quite a few. Um, two that I'd like to share with you in particular. In 2009, a report published called Screening Madness. And this is a mental health report which talks about the negative impacts of mental health in cinema. Um, it's a fantastic report and it says that even today it believes that mental health is portrayed in cinema in a negative way. The killer, uh, such as we mentioned, uh, Norman Bates from Psycho, is even more demonic. And the treatments and the actual portrayal of these characters sees them as more uh, hidden and subversive. Indeed, it goes on to mention a number of Hollywood's major motion pictures over the last couple of years and a lot of cult favourites, including The Breakfast Club and how one of their particular characters deals with mental illness. So, well worth um, tracking down. I'd also like to point you in the direction of the Scottish Mental Health Arts and Film Festival. Now, this has been running every year for the last eight years. And um, it's an arts and film festival that is one of Scotland's most diverse cultural events, covering everything from music, film and visual art to theatre, dance and literature. But the festival has a bit of a difference because it engages with artists, connects within communities and looks at the artistic achievements of people with experience of mental health issues, exploring the relationship between creativity and the mind and promoting positive mental health and well-being. Um, the aims of that particular festival are stated on its website mhfestival.com uh, 
are to challenge perceptions, make connections, develop audiences, encourage participations and create. And um, it looks to be really, really uh, well worth checking out. As I say, happens every October and there will be a festival happening this year in October. If you're up around Glasgow and Edinburgh, there's a great opportunity for you to uh, go along and see a film and talk to some like-minded people about mental health in cinema. And indeed, I may even do the same. Well, that really brings us to the conclusion of our podcast uh, segment for this week. Uh, Thank you for joining me, and I hope that you found the discussion to be of some use. Remember that it's not always that easy to to separate fact and fiction on screen. At the end of the day, the media's job is entertainment and indeed not education. A screenwriter's job is to create larger-than-life stories that capture viewers, are artistic representations and drive ticket sales. It is not up to them to provide us with balanced and nuanced education, though on the other hand, it is the news media's job to provide accurate information and many would argue that they do not. If you compare an episode of Law and Order, say, or a John Grisham film to your jury duty experience, that's about the same distance you'll find between TV therapy and actual therapy. Keep in mind that when you do get an accurate portrayal, it's just one character's struggle and life. The reality is that no two people are alike and that mental health exists on a multi-axis spectrum where many different factors intersect to paint a unique picture of each situation and each individual. Whatever the portrayal, the key is to take the media with a grain of salt and to get your facts from reputable sources. On that note, I will say thank you for joining me. I've been Wayne Madden, and I'll now hand back to your fantastic presenters, Sharon and Stephen. Take care. See you soon on Mentally Sound. Fantastic. That was Wayne with Mental Health in the Movies discussing Shutter Island. And before that, we had our regular Bill talking about... Uh, sorry, talking with Youssef Abdullah regarding the South Shields Mosque and the Yemeni community and their surroundings and how they deal with mental health. Now, just a quick plug for next month's show. We've got John Lawler, who's the CEO of the Northumberland Tyne and Weir Mental Health NHS Trust. I wouldn't want to say that after too many gins. I will say it again. <laughs> John Lawler, who's the CEO of the Northumberland Tyne and Weir Mental Health National Health Service Trust, and he's going to be coming in uh, next month. Yeah. So if you want to give us any questions for him, any concerns that you've got, you can get in touch via email, mentallysoundradio at gmail.com or through Twitter at underscore mentally sound. Awesome. And also, we just want to give a shout out to our friends, uh, which is uh, Mental Health Matters Show on Phoenix FM. Uh, yeah, please go and check out their stuff. Uh, they're on, uh, are they on. Are they on iTunes, Gareth? Uh, the Phoenix FM guys? Uh, PhoenixFM.com. Oh, PhoenixFM.com. Yeah. Okay. Search for the podcast. It wasn't in my notes. Uh, okay, so um, yeah, so if you check out their stuff as well, um, I think we're going to do some collaboration with them at some point, yeah. Uh, so we just wanted to give a shout out to them, uh, uh, which is awesome. Uh, huge thank you to everyone. That's it. We're done. We're uh, we're just about to hit. We'd literally just hit four o'clock, which is excellent. Uh, so all that leaves me to do. Thank you so much for being my co-host. Uh, for You're this You're very show. welcome. Uh, it was it's really fun. fun. I need to make sure we should get you on. I should get you on my podcast. I keep mentioning that. Um, it would be cool to do to sit down with you and have a proper. Really, heart to heart, <laughs> or brain to brain. A pod. Yeah, a pod. <laughs> a pod and casting, yeah. Uh, so thank you to Jules. Thank you. Uh, thank you to uh, Marty. Uh, and thank you to everyone else. We say keep going. <laughs>
You can't keep going, okay. Uh, well, we're, we're going to keep going. Uh, let's do another four hours. Right. <laughs> I've only yeah. paid till half five. Yeah, though, so yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. I would have to yeah. go. Oh, I've just clocked out. I'm sorry, yeah. I've just clocked a, out. Can I give a big, big... Uh, yeah, you can shout, go, go yes, have a shout out, yeah. Best wishes to my daughter, Rachel Alice. Oh, that's awesome. Well. Yeah. Oh she's got having penicillin and she starts with a big exam. She's sixteen yeah. on Monday, oh, no. so let's, I suppose let's it's join in and say, no, we won't yeah. get it, don't we? I'm we sure do indeed, yeah. In plenty of I'm sure I'll, I'll, I'm sure I'll also say on behalf of everyone as well, we have um, shout out to Victoria yeah. and we hope that she's yeah. feeling better and um we yeah. hope that she'll be in the involved in the next show. Okay. Our thoughts are with her. Uh, and but thank you so much to everybody uh, who's been involved in the show. Thank you to Wayne, thank you to Bill. Uh, thank you to Alistair, to Carol. Uh, thanks. Um, obviously, um, w- in terms of next week's show, we'll, we may have another guest, uh, another co-host on. We're not we're 100% sure, but um, obviously Carol wasn't involved in this, but she did a great interview. And thank you to Anthony uh, uh, um, as well for being a, 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 an inter- interviewee and all the interview interviewers who have been involved. Um, I think the quality of the stuff that we do is really, really good. Like, and and I, and yeah. I really like that the. the the, the the angles that we go down and hopefully we talk about stuff that you know maybe the taboo subjects that people are uncomfortable talking about so it's all good uh, uh, but we best go just in case there's uh, someone else on before it doesn't look like it is because we're not being bugged to leave but um, <laughs> uh, which is which was the case last time uh, where it was just like uh, all hell broke loose <laughs> it was terrible it was like I was expecting a T-Rex to come in at some point just obliterate <laughs> us it was that's like being not until Park. June but yeah, anyway, with we're, the yes, T-Rexes we, but yeah. we're done uh, yeah. we're finished thank you so much for tuning in to Mentally Sound uh, we will see you all guys very soon uh, we're going to be playing us out now with a little less conversation by Elvis and this has been Mentally Sound thank you to Sharon thank you to Jules thank you to everybody we'll see you all very soon guys take care thanks a lot <laughs>